0: might say, "Okay, what's up? Well, I can tell you right now that we have 10 pizza boxes in front of you. How many of you guys like pizza? How many of you guys like pizza in Maryland? Come on, y'all. You don't even know real pizza. Come on. I'm sorry. I am a pizza snob. Okay, because where I come from, pizza's the real deal, all right? And I'm not referring to my culture. I'm referring to when you go down to the shop, right, Pastor Dennis? We go down to the shop, and we see a nice, thin, New York-style kind of pizza because it's southern Connecticut down to northern New Jersey, right, Brandon, that you can just kind of fold it up, and the drippings, and it's just the cheese, and the sauce just kind of marries each other and partners together so nicely, and as you take the... Oh, gosh, I got to go, guys. I got to go get some pizza. I mean, that's what you do. When you start to think about it and dream about it, I'm willing to go that far. Now, you see that there are 10 boxes here from Pizza Hotline. How many of you guys like Pizza Hotline? All oh, right, it's okay. Yeah, I mean, it's better than Domino's, right? Okay, all right. So here's the thing. Now, we've got 10. I mean, there's actually 11 because I'm going to do this. I think there's 11, is there not? I think there is. All right. So let me just use this pizza box over here for an illustration. But if you can imagine, God gave us all of these pizzas. If you guys ever had, I mean, the school has pizzas every week. So, I mean, they have more than 10, I gather. But God, if we have 10, God's saying, hey, wait a minute. I just want you to give me back one." That's it. The rest is yours. Now, I know my nephews, they could take a pizza each years ago. They can't do that now because they're in their 30s. You know, when you hit your 30s, uh, the appetite kind of slows down a little bit. I mean, you want to eat more, but you can't eat as much. But just imagine God saying, You could just have nine pizzas. All I want is one. But here's what God does, too. He loves to say, you know what? I'm gonna offer you some pizza, and this is that one. I'm gonna offer it to you. Here's a slice. You can have some of mine. You don't even have to take from your nine. I'll give you some. And so I'm gonna imagine this is a New York style pizza in the Bronx area, maybe even down. uh, You know, just gonna take a bite of it as I quickly. All right. Oh. That's amazing pizza. All right. But here's the thing. God's given us his slice. And we taste it. And we see that it's good. And if I can imagine this to be a New York-style pizza, I'd be willing to travel and sacrifice any chance I can to go and get that pizza. I'm willing even to travel from here up to Stanford, Connecticut, where I grew up, which isn't far from New York, is five hours. I'm willing to drive up to four and a half to five hours just to get a slice of pizza because it's so good because I'm dreaming about it, and I'm thinking about it, I can't get my mind off of it, and I got to go. How about with God? Are we willing to say, wow, if we taste and see how good God is, that we'd be willing to do anything, sacrifice our time, our schedules, our time with anyone, our gifts and our talents, all for the kingdom of God because he's so good. If we can just taste and see that he's good, that we would be willing to do that. We'd be willing to give whatever we have. We'd even be willing to say, here, Lord, here's another pizza. You can have it. Because that's where our hearts, because we're so drawn to it with the of saying, it's so good, I'm willing to give you another of my pizzas. Because I'll sacrifice another pizza for you, Lord. I'll sacrifice the taste. Colony pizza in Stanford, Connecticut is amazing. And I would sacrifice a colony pizza for the kingdom of God. Now, I'm using this pizza analogy to say that pizza is something that's good. But if God just gives us what he has it's so good, it's even better than anything we could ever dream of. Because we're willing to give and sacrifice to him. He joined us in. To join in him in a partnership. God's given us a partnership, and we want it to be profitable. And the way for it to be profitable is all we have to do is just give a tenth to him. That's all. That's all he's asking to start. And when we give a tenth to him, it's a partnership. And we can even give more because he's worthy. So we'd have to give something up here. In order to give him more you follow what I'm saying meaning you don't just give more and saying I keep spending the way I do but you're willing to sacrifice in order to give because he's so good we're willing to do whatever we can to give unto the Lord see that's what it takes it's a partnership it's it's a profitable one it's one that's that's taken together and we're gonna look quickly at Paul and talk, talk about in, in the book of Philippians. Very quickly, we're going to look through the entire book, take like a schematic just rundown and just look at it, but we're going to talk more in chapter 4. So just work with me here as we look at a profitable partnership, not only between Paul and the Philippians, but we have to look a little deeper where truly is the partnership, and it begins with God. It begins with the three, the trinity that comes down into the relationship that Paul had with God. And then as Paul had with God, he had it with Ephroditus. And as he had it with Ephroditus, he then had it with the Philippians. And each one, each group of people within this narrative will tell you that they had fellowship, not with only Paul, not with only Ephroditus, not with only, but with ultimately with God. That's where the partnership starts. And you and I, as believers, we partner with God because it's not about giving of the money. It's not that. It's about giving our time and our talents because they're all his anyway. And so we're willing to dedicate and and sacrifice our time and our effort for the kingdom. So we have to realize that that partnership is important. We have to gather in our hearts and understand that. You know, there were some partnerships that... Um, we we would ultimately understand and recognize. Um, You know, I want to share just one particular partnership uh, that you'll see in football. When uh, Eric mentioned about football, everybody loves football. It's the time of the season. And partnerships, usually when you see profitable partnerships on football teams, you see a coach and a quarterback connecting. And it hurts me to share this, but I looked up the top 10 coach and quarterback tandems, they call it. Number one, of course, is Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. 18 years together. The regular season, their percentage of winning was 700. It was 0.781, almost 800 percent in win, winning percentage. A postseason record of 25 and nine, seven point seven three five. Div, division championships 15, conference championships seven, Super Bowl league championships five. An amazing partnership. Whether you like them or not, because I can care less for both of them, and as far as football, they were profitable as a partnership. They were able to work together to understand one another, be able to see, and they worked together in relationship. They had a partnership. They understood the ups and the downs. Although they didn't have many downs, they were always up. They had that partnership. Another one that you can think of back in the day is Vince Lombardi and Bart Starr, Vince Lombardi and Bart Starr, nine years together, regular season, 0.770, postseason, nine and one, 900, 0.900. Now, they had conference champions back then, six of them, and they won a Super Bowl. They were in the first Super Bowl and they won. And again, it's that whole idea that there's a connection. And then lastly, Chuck Noll and Terry Bradshaw, 14 years together, a winning record of almost 0.700. Postseason, 14 and 5, conference championships, 4, division championships, 8, Super Bowl championships, 4. And again, it just goes on and on and on because what you see is that you see this partnership that's working together. How about us? What's profitable? As we see Paul, partnerships are always with relationships. And Paul was chosen by God, commissioned by God. For the furtherance of the gospel. He did it while he was in prison. I mean, if you look at these epistles that he's writing, they're the prison epistles, and he's writing with excitement and joy. That's what his passion was. Why? Because he had a partnership with God. It wasn't about the happenings. See, happiness can bring happenings, but joy comes deep in the soul of our being when we know that there's no matter what comes our way, that God is for us. No matter who's against us, God is for us. When our our days are down and our seasons are hard, God is still for us. He's still clapping. He's our number one fan. Because when you're struggling, when you're down and out, when you're depressed, when you don't feel like you're valued anymore, God's saying, I'm still thinking you're valuable. You're my most valuable player. I love you. You're the one that I'm cheering for. Because he chose you, and he chose me for a purpose, not our own, his. And the battles that go on through our walk with Christ are normal. They're expected. It's abnormal if you're not battling. In fact, if you're not battling, I'm wondering what's really going on, (laughs) because that means things are too pleasurable here on earth, because we have an earthly perspective and an eternal perspective, and that's key to what we're trying to do. So I set this up to say, when we partner with God, we come alongside where he is at work, where he's working. Philippians 1, 3, and 5, Paul says this, I thank my God and all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because he knows that he has a partnership with the Philippians. He knows that they care for him. He knows that they love Jesus. He knows that they're bought out, sold out for the kingdom of God. He knows that they're ready to do whatever it's possible to proclaim the gospel because they've proven it to him. The Macedonians did it. The church at Thessalonica did it, and now the Philippians are doing it. Paul knew that, and he was grateful. He was joyful. He was excited because he knew that his joy ultimately came from God, and he knew that the people he was partnering with loved God. There's something about that's incorporated. Like when you're eating a nice stew and all the flavorings are in there, and you're taking the bite of the meat and the potatoes and the carrots. Even the carrots are not bland. They're just nicely nicely seasoned, and you're eating it up. And it's just like, mm. it's like the endorphins down your back, your tummy feels satisfied and good. And that's what it's like when you have a partnership with someone that you know that loves Jesus, that no matter what the struggle is, they're going to fight for the kingdom of God. That's what it's doing here. That's what Paul's speaking. He goes on in verse five, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. That's what he's saying here. He's thanking God. The word always means identifies frequency, regular intercession with an internal, eternal connection. Prayer, meaning that he's depending on God and believing that God will intercede on his part no matter how difficult it is. And partnership is the word koinonia, where we get fellowship, the association of involving mutual interests and in sharing, not what we do here on earth, but ultimately what it means what we do for the kingdom of God. And he's saying associated, communing, fellowshipping with one another. Number two, when we partner with God, we actively participate in the furtherance of the gospel. Now, again, Paul's talking from a cell, from a prison cell, as we know was not one that was likened like today. And here he is in Philippians chapter one, verse seven, he says, it is right for me to feel this way about you all. Because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Why? Because the false teachers were accusing him that he was in jail because of his sin. But just like Jesus, he was innocent. He was proclaiming the gospel, and he was thrown into jail for it. When was the last time you and I were thrown into jail for the sake of the gospel? When was the last time we were arrested for proclaiming the gospel? When was the last time a loved one was arrested for the sake of the gospel? When was the last time someone died for the sake of the gospel? Third world countries are going through that right now. Paul was imprisoned, apostles are being killed, all for the sake of the gospel. And they were partnered together for a purpose. But he was confirmed in his heart, he had an affection. Partakers, meaning fellow workers, and defense means apologetics. So they're apologetically leading and defending for the sake of the gospel. I love what he says in verse 12 through 14, verses 12 through 14, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Wait a minute, (laughs) I'm in prison and it's advancing the gospel. Isn't that... like? Don't we think the opposite now? (laughs) Isn't it funny how sometimes we think, oh, my gosh, he's arrested. Why did he speak up? He shouldn't have spoken up. He shouldn't proclaim the gospel. He shouldn't have got arrested. If he would have just kept his cool and not done what was wrong and keep up with everybody around here in the local area, he wouldn't have been arrested. Oh, let's pray for him. But he said, for the sake of his imprisonment, it advances the gospel. Why? Why? because it made the Philippians bold. They were giving of their monies, which was God's anyway, to advance the gospel. And his imprisonment emboldened them to share the gospel, because the false teachers are coming against them and trying to lock everybody up, deviously planning for that, and they were bold to speak up for the sake of the gospel. We need to be bold today for the sake of the gospel. We we shouldn't call everything out evil, But we sure enough shouldn't call it good either, right? We shouldn't call things that are going on in our nation good, but we shouldn't call it evil. Why? Because we want to cross the line and talk to some people. We want to build relationships, we want to say, listen, I disagree with you, but I want to share with you why I disagree with you, because of the gospel, right? We're not politically on one side because of some kind of goal we have, right, as Christians, right? Amen. Meaning we don't stand for a certain political side because it's good for us politically, right? Why do we do it? For the sake of the gospel. But we have to be careful because we have to make sure it's for the sake of the gospel and not our political platform. Because if we take one side or the other, it's the gospel that we stand for. So it's important for us to understand, and he goes on in verse 13, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Verse 14, and most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. They were bold. It was advancing the gospel. Number three, we partner with God so we gain insurance that he will finish what he started we gain assurance. Philippians 1.6, Paul speaks this, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it until the completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The hope of his return, the eschatological hope of his return. That's what's dangling in front of us, people. It's the carrot. When we're struggling, when we're down and out, when we're hurting, we're at our end. We're saying, God, why, Lord? Why all this pain? Why all this struggle? Why, Lord? I've been a good servant of the Lord. I've followed you, Lord. I've been obedient. Why are you allowing all this pain? He's saying, because you're my servant, and I need to use you to exemplify the gospel. See, we forget that Jesus had to sacrifice himself for you and I. He was the substitutionary atonement for sin. He died in our place. Do you know if he didn't, you and I would not have hope? Do you know if he didn't, we couldn't offer that hope to anyone else? Do you think God just saved us so we can sit here and be happy here on earth? Did he call us to that? No. Did he give us funds and money so that we can have earthly things? No. He called us to have the if it's representing in these nine boxes right here so that we can further what? The gospel. him here he, he again, what? Gospel. gospel, to further the gospel. That's what he's called us to do. That's an eternal perspective. So if he started to work in us, he didn't start to work in us as saying, here's your ticket, son, here's your ticket, daughter, you can get into heaven now, and by the way, enjoy earth. That's not what he did. That's not what he called us to. He called us to surrender our lives just as Jesus did to the Father. The subordination of the Son, which is a theological perspective when we're thinking about the Trinity, I would see that he subordinately went to the Father and submitted himself, not because he's less than, but because he did it in role, because His second person of the Trinity. He did that. That's a doctrine that would say he did it for the sake of so that others could come into relationship with the Father, and the koinonia that the Father and the Son and the Spirit have, we too can have with God. And when we have it with God, we can have it with each other. And when we have it with each other, then we can share that with others, for the sake of the gospel. It's a profit. God's given us that profit, and we can do that. So when we give our monies, it's because God gave us His Son. Amen. And so as he has given us his son, we give our monies because they're all his anyway. And it's a profit. That's why in, verse, in chapter 4, he talks about a profit. And I want just to just share that a little bit because profitable margins arise in, the, in, in eternal perspective in Christianities when we share. It's not when we keep. It's not when we keep our monies. It's not when we say, thank you, thank you, thank you. These are all mine. I'll go eat those nine pizzas right now, and I'm going to take off with them. No. God's saying, hey, I've shared with you this one pizza, and I've even given you a slice of it. Here, you can have a slice of my pizza. You don't even have to touch your pizza. Oh, that's really kind of you, Lord. You're sharing your pizza. Maybe I'll share some more of my pizza with you. That's what he's trying to teach us, but we got to give something up over here in order to share over here. You follow what I'm saying? Because God didn't say for us to enjoy things on earth. He said for us to have an eternal perspective, to share. And that's why we understand Paul is talking to the Philippians because he sees that they're sharing with him. They're giving of all they have so that he could proclaim the gospel. Chapter 4, verse 14, it says this. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble because he was struggling. He was hurting. But they were willing to share because not only were they sharing their money, they were sharing their love and their heart and their affection for for the kingdom, for God, for Jesus. And he's saying, thank you for being willing to share with my trouble. Why? Because when we give to a ministry, we're partnering with them. We're sharing with them, right? So when you give to a ministry, whether time, talents, or money, you're sharing in their troubles. When you pray for them, you're sharing in their troubles. And that's what he's saying. Thank you for doing that. Verse 13, he says, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, which was right, remember the Macedonians in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, about the giving, not only out of their own means, but beyond their means. No church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, which is a, an accounting term, except you alone, you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Because it wasn't just the giving of the money. It was their hearts, their affection, and partnering with them. See, the money follows. You know, you say, okay, well, the giving and the money. The giving and the money is, an, is just a reflection of the heart of the believer. So we don't even have to talk about money. When the heart is right, money will follow. You follow what I'm saying? We have to get the heart right for it to be followed. And so God has called us to share because that's where the prophet is. That's where God's calling us. He's calling us to share, to invest with someone else, but ultimately to invest in the kingdom of God. In fact, it's really this simple. Must, one must be willing to lose before one can gain. We have to be willing to give up something here in this side over here with the nine boxes in order to gain for eternity's sake. You don't just give and still spend on your earthly possessions. God's calling us to surrender all. You know, that's why Paul said to live as Christ, to die is, all right, but whatever gain he said I had. that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and share in his sufferings, become like him in his death, that by any means possible I may obtain the resurrection of the dead. So we share, we lose, but we gain. Jesus lost something, but he gained the greatest thing. Gained fellowship with us. Do you know that? Do you know that his gain was fellowship with us? He lost his life, but he gained fellowship with the Father and the Son, or with the Spirit and with us. That's fellowship. That's koinonia. He was willing to do that. that's profit for all the sakes. So now you have to say the second thing is we have to sacrifice. We have to be willing to sacrifice. I love when it, it says in. In uh, Philippians 4, 17 and 18, I'm going to read it and I will come back to it. It says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Because I have received full payment and more, I am well supplied having received from Ephroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. That's what God has called us to to do. He's called us in partnership. But listen to the partnership of a fellow worker, he said, a soldier, a messenger, and a minister. Here's what he said about Aphrodite. He said, he was almost near death. Paul states, receive him in the Lord with joy, with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete that which was lacking in service, your service to me. See, Paul, he was not concerned about his gain because he was confident that the Lord was going to finish what he started. But he gave him great joy when he knew it. It would increase the believers at Philippi on their accounts, their investment for eternity. See, the partnership was ultimately to give to God. Proverbs 11, 24, 25 says this, one who gives freely yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing and all will be enriched and all who waters will himself be watered. See, God is saying if you just give and not hold on to, I will bless you. But we need to give. We need to sacrifice because Jesus was willing to sacrifice. Epidotus was willing to sacrifice him in his own life. And if he's a believer, he's called to do that. We are too. We have a video here of a couple in our church that in these past 20 years have learned here at, at Grace Church about giving. And as they did, they'll share your, their story with you, and then I'll make a few comments afterwards.
1: My name is Kevin Newsom. My name is Dana Newsom. Dana and I both serve in the First Impressions team. I am the Iwana Ministry Director, and I also serve in the Student Ministry. I started coming to Grace in 1993, and I heard about this new word to me, which was called tithing, which Pastor Thornley talked about. And I didn't really understand what that word meant. I knew it meant giving in some way, shape, or form. So I went to friends and people that I knew and said, what does this tithing thing mean? And a lot of people said, well, it's whatever you feel like giving. Or it's giving on maybe your your net pay. And others said, wow, it's even giving on all that you get from all of your pay. I chose to take the easy way out and give what I felt like giving because that seemed easy to me at the time. That next January, I heard again about what Pastor Thornley said about tithing. And I understood finally that it meant giving 10% of your gross pay. But for me, I wasn't ready to do that at that time in my life. Um, I was still only willing to give 10% of my net pay, but it was still more than I had been giving before. So I, was, I felt like I was really starting to grow and trust God for different things in my life, especially in the area of finances. After a few years of hearing Pastor Thornley preach about uh, stewardship, I finally understood that I should really increase my tithes to 10% of my gross, not my net pay. Dan and I began dating in 2000 and we were married in 2002. The things I was looking for, the first criteria of course is a Christian, but another criteria was someone who tithes. God increased my faith so much that even when Dana went through ovarian cancer, we both knew that God would bring glory to His name through it. He has done just that because all tests have come back negative for cancer for Dana since 2008 and we have two children since then as well. God has allowed us to be debt free for over a decade and because of this I was able to retire at 58 years old. Because of the journey that God has brought us through in the area of finances, He's allowed us to be able to give not just our tithes, but tithes and offerings. and. Because of that, I believe that he has really given us cheerful hearts in the area of giving. If you're considering taking the next step in your giving journey, I would recommend that you test God in this and see what he will do in your life because I believe he will change your life in ways that you could never imagine.
0: So the sacrifice that Kevin and Dana were willing to make is just one of many thousands of people that have committed themselves to serving the Lord in this area. You know, I asked Kevin, Kevin and I get a chance because he works with me in the student ministry, and I asked him this morning, I said, hey, how has this 90-day challenge challenged you? And he said, you know, we talked about it, and he told me that he's just retired, and he's now in a transition in his life, but he's made a commitment to give unto the Lord even so. He still, he and Dana are real willing to commit 10% and believe God. Because what he and I were talking about, it's not about giving and getting back. It's about giving because it's an obedient act. See, it's a commitment today that he said he's so excited that we're doing this 90-day challenge because it's challenging each one of us to do what they have done, what they have learned. What, what Kevin and Dana learned over the years, he wants everyone else to learn because it's biblical, <laughs> Because it's what God's teaching us. We, as a people of God, know that from the scriptures. It's very clear. We can tout it here as pastors and leaders, and we can do it as a pastoral leadership and say, hey, we really want you guys to give, but it's only God's work in your heart. It's not we telling you what to do. And so it's important for us to realize that this 90-day challenge, you may have to make some sacrifices, but that's okay. It's for the sake of the kingdom. And that's why we have examples who are willing to do that, to sacrifice. It's because it's not about the money. It's about a heart that's surrendered to God. It's about a willingness to offer yourself as a sacrifice. That's why Ephroditus, when when he says in verse 18, I have received full payment and more I have well supplied. I have received from Ephroditus, who was one who partnered with him, who almost died, the gifts you sent. A fragrant offering, a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. See, what pleases God is when we have a humble attitude and willing to sacrifice something in this category right here. Something to willing to sacrifice so we can give to God. Because what Kevin said in there, he said, it wasn't just my tithe, but it was my offerings also, which is 23% in the Old Testament. 23%. Tithes and offerings. So if we just give a tenth, that's just a start. But it's unto God. It's not unto a pastor or a pastoral team or a staff. Or anything. Like I said last week, it's unto God. Because we're sacrificing unto him because he's given us so much. And he's still willing to give even another slice of his to us. It's so important for us to gather and connect that because God's called us to that. And that's why sacrifice is key. See, satisfaction does does not come without true sacrifice. Satisfaction doesn't come without true sacrifice. You and I know that. We were willing to sacrifice something in our lives, but it's satisfying when we're willing to do that for the... ...for us to recognize that. So we need to give up our fears and worries and doubts about how the Lord will provide, and if we don't, we'll miss out on the partnership with God. Sometimes we are afraid or worried to give up our freedoms so we can gain earthly happiness, but should we be willing to give up some of our happiness in order to gain joy? See, that's what he's talking about with joy. See, when we sacrifice... It's not about being happy here on earth, it's about getting eternal joy. That's why when you give, whether time, talents, and money, it's for the joy of the Lord. That's why Paul kept reminding them in the book about the joy of the Lord, because it was the partnership they were willing. In other words, let me just say it this way. We may give up our immediate happiness for eternal joy, but we need to give up our wants so God can meet our needs. Watch that now. <laughs> we may have to be willing to give up some of our wants. So God will ultimately meet our needs. He never said he was going to meet our wants, right? You follow me? I think you guys are listening. He never said he would would give our wants. What did he say? He would meet our needs. He would supply all our need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. That's why it's called surrender. We need to surrender. We need to surrender. Because it says, my God will supply every need according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Not our wants but our needs. Has anyone been in need? Has God met all your needs? Can I get an amen? amen? All right. I mean, he's met all our need, and you know it's a need that he's met more than anything else? Salvation. Amen. amen. I mean, right? Amen, Athleah. Amen. amen. How many are convinced of that? How many are excited about that? Yeah, I know. Your, li- your lives are tough. They're a struggle, but God has met your need. He's met my need. Now we can go with the assurance of eternal life. Amen? Amen. Man, We got to be excited because I know today you're all going to be jumping up and down in front of the football, in front of the game, and jumping up and down in front of your TV, getting all excited and angry and frustrated. Your team's not playing well. But remember that Jesus loves you and that he supplied your need according to your riches in Christ Jesus. He supplied Jesus. Because to live is Christ. To die is gain. That's what he's called us to. See, we we need to give something up in order to gain something else. We got to be willing to sacrifice. Got to be willing to share. We got to be willing to surrender to God. Because see, the Philippians, they gave up a lot. And Paul was just reminding them, God will meet your need because you've given so much for the sake of the kingdom. So if you have to be concerned, wait a minute, if I have to give up in this pile some of my happiness, I could just gain some joy over here. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to tell you right now, it's worth it. It's worth it because this side over here has carried me through really difficult struggles. The joy got me through because there are many times where I wanted to give up and God kept reminding me of the joy of the Lord. He's my strength, right? So when you're going through difficult times, don't count on this happiness because it's just happenings. Count on the joy of the Lord. He is just, he's your strength. He's our, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Amen? Don't get me started singing, all right? The old song, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Can you all hit me with me? The joy of the Lord is my strength, right? Remember that one? Y'all don't remember it. See, you guys can go back to the hymn. That's a good song. Because the joy of the Lord is my strength. Let me just share one more story with you. David Green, the family that owns Hobby Lobby, met with Bob Hoskins, the president of the Book of Hope. This organization offers their book to countries all over the world to help youth come to faith in Jesus Christ. It's a program that has been very successful. After their meeting, Dave agreed to contribute $2 million to their ministry. So Hobby Lobby was willing to commit $2 million to Bob Hoskins. At the same time, Bob's son, Rob, was meeting with a missionary in the Philippines who was to meet with the minister of education of their country. Rob flew to Manila to meet with this official. The minister of education was thankful for the United States. However, when the USA removed the Bible in 1963, the, Philippi- the Philipp- uh, excuse me, Philippines also followed suit. Therefore, the official did not want to do work with the missionary. But Rob admitted to the government official of the failure of removing the Bible from the schools and shared the dreadful results. And the government emphasized with Rob because they received the same results. So the government official gave permission for the Book of Hope to be brought to each child in the school system. Now, let me share the narrative here. Now, he goes, uh, Rob says, now I'm going to put my name on my seal of this letter, he said to his two visitors. And he says to himself, Can you really make this happen? And that moment, Rob. No way. He said, There's no way. Yes, we can do it. And the missionary almost fell out of his chair. Once outside, he turned and worriedly looked at Rob and said, Do you know what you just promised? Of course. You'll get on the plane tomorrow, but I have to stay here and live with these people. Do you realize what you've done? During a plane change in Tokyo on a trip home, Rob called his father in Florida. I have good news and bad news, Dad, he announced. The good news is there's permission has been granted. We have an open door all across the the school network in, 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 in the country. He says the bad news is that we need $2 million right away. And the father started laughing on the other end, he said, don't fret, my son. Remember the meeting in Oklahoma that I went to? I'm sitting here holding a check in my hand for $2 million. And these, both of these men, father and son, began to weep. God is willing to use whatever he sees fit. He's the owner of the cattle on a thousand hills. He's sovereign God. All we need to do is do our part. All God's called us to do is just give a tenth. That's all he started with. He said, just give a tenth. You can still keep all these pizzas, bombs away, eat them all you want. God said, just give me a pizza. And by the way, God said, I'll share my pizza with you. Don't even have to take from your nine. That's how awesome he is. He's a generous, loving, giving God. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. But how are we going to believe that? We believe it by saying, okay, Lord, here I am. I'll give you my 10. If you call this church your church and call this church your home, if you're living in debt, let me encourage you. We have Financial Peace University. Steve Collinon teaches that in our church. We have other officials here who can do that as well. Other people can do that. I want to encourage you. If you're hurting, if you're down and out, contact me or Pastor Dennis. We would love to help you. But don't, don't give up giving the 10th, because God will get you out of debt. Right, Kevin? Yes, sir. So he'll get you out of debt. He's gotten me out of debt, and I'm sure he's gotten plenty of you out of debt. I can share with you how he's gotten me out of debt for the sake of the gospel. So I want to encourage you today. That 90-day challenge is so important for us. We want to level up. We want to encourage you to give unto the Lord. This is his challenge to you. This isn't my challenge to you. This is his challenge to you. I'm just an instrument on behalf of our pastoral team to challenge you to do that. So I want to encourage you to, to do that today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for reminding us how important this is today, how we so desperately need you, how we so desperately need to partner with you. We're better together when we partner with you. And, Lord, when we're giving, we're not giving of what is ours. We're giving what is of yours. And you've given us your son, and we just want to give back what's already yours. And yet you still share your son with us. (laughs) You've given us Jesus, and you still share him with us every moment of the day. So, Lord, help us to see that what we have is not ours. It's already yours. And we're here when we're bought with a price. We're here for the sake of the gospel. So help us, Lord, this 90-day challenge. May it just change our hearts. May we give with the intention to move forward. So, Father, we love you. We surrender our lives to you. We pray for your spirit to move in our midst. We ask that you would carry us during this time. We love you, God. May we go forward from this building believing you, God, that you can come through for your sake, your honor, and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hey, before you leave, I just want to remind you, we have Operation Christmas Child, Pastor Dennis